everyone. Welcome to another Crowdlinker Fireside Chat. I'm Aram Milkumov, the CEO of Crowdlinker, the host of this series. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, on the show, I'm going to be interviewing innovation leaders who are working on big industry disruptive problems from within large organizations. My guests have been in the trenches and have lots of practical advice to give about building quality digital products, staying agile and fostering an innovation culture within an enterprise. This is episode number six, and I'm here with Christian Maxisi to talk about how he's driving the spirit of innovation at MLC. Quick bio on uh, Christian. Uh, Christian is the Senior Director of Technology and Digital at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, where he leads engineering, data science, and product design. He works with MLC's, MLC's professional sports teams, the Argos, the Leafs, the Raptors, and the TFC, and does business operations to create technology solutions for front office, coaches, and players, as well as enhance the digital fan experience for those watching at home, as well as the fans in MLC's venues, such as Scotiabank Arena and BMO Field. It's a big bio. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us, Christian. Awesome having you Thank here you with us me. today. Um, I really appreciate your time today. Um, I wanted to um, quickly kick off this kind of conversation and get started by uh, getting your perspective on, you know, the pandemic. I know it's kind of like a sore subject right now in the sports space, in the live sports space, but like, I really want to kind of start there so that we can learn how your industry has been affected by COVID. Um, you know, maybe we could start off like when like we spoke already like earlier on at in the beginning of the year like when the pandemic was first surfacing and we were talking about is this going to be a short-term thing a long-term thing let's kind of start there i mean how did you see this play out when did you start realize that this was going to be like a major threat uh to business as usual funny enough um i was actually coming back from vacation at the tail end of february and i was flying through la and personally that was the first time that i actually felt that something imminent was happening. Like people were, uh, you know, you, you're, you're going, walking through LAX and just the amount of masks that you saw, the amount of hand sanitizer and, and uh, people wearing gloves and just, you could just tell that there, people were uncomfortable being in that space. So personally, that was the first, um, first moment. And then uh, last season, uh, public knowledge now, we were testing some new technology with the NHL called puck and player tracking, which they unveiled during All-Star. And uh, my team, um, uh, with the help of the, the league, we were, we were testing some things out. We were preparing actually for a live test at Scotiabank Arena uh, in mid-March. And we were approaching the day and, and I re remember being on some calls and, and you know we were all watching the COVID results as well. And, and it really started to sink in that, hey, we may not actually make it to this date. And, you know, sure enough, March 11th happened and uh, the, on the NBA side, Rudy Gobert and Utah Jazz, they postponed the game kind of live, actually. It all happened. I remember getting text messages on my phone saying, hey, if you're not watching the, the Jazz game, turn it on, there's something happening. And then emails start flying in from the leagues and just nobody knew what was happening. And, and um, it, it, it happened quickly, you know, and, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it all manifested itself in real time for everybody to see and it was chaotic and everything that everybody was thinking and feeling was was true right nobody was prepared for this like no government yeah. no no league no no business was prepared for this um but 
uh, it came quickly, very, very much so. And so like all the stuff happening in real time, how, what were the first steps that you took to kind of adjust with the team? Did you change any kind of direction or any kind of like steps that um, you started incorporating into day-to-day -day stuff? Yeah, the, the first um, actually was probably more of just a human approach, you know, just as employers and responsibility to people. We wanted to make sure I, particularly even within my own team, we were just reaching out to people and just say, hey, are you okay? Are you, mm -hmm. is your family okay? Is there anything that you need? Because um, you, you never know what people's home situations are, right? You know, the, yeah. I'm lucky, you know, I've got an office, I can work out of it and, and have quiet time, but you don't know what, what, it, what the situations are. So first was just accommodating to our staff for our employees and making mm -hmm. sure that they had what they needed to continue the work that they, they were doing. Um, and then uh, shortly thereafter, you know, kind of immediately after actually is just give people the psychological, psychological safety that they needed. You know, we, the leagues, the, the, the teams, we didn't know what was going to happen. So we also didn't want our staff to panic. So one of the first things that we did, we launched this team Toronto fund uh, where a bunch of front office players, uh, some of our senior executives, we all created a fund to make sure that the staff knew that we were behind them, right? We knew we were going to go through some hard times. We didn't know exactly what it looked like, but we were going to help you. So just giving people that psychological safety and that they can continue doing what they're doing, whenever that is. Um, on the technology and digital side, um, our, our work actually came to the forefront. So some things that we we wanted to do, you know, some, in, something, in some ways months or years or seasons later, just became, okay, what if we could do that right now? Um, how do we connect with our fans better? How do we talk to our members and season seat holders? How do we work with our partners? Um, things that were probably cliche in the past or gimmicky were all of a sudden something that everybody wanted to try to have a conversation about. Um, those would be you know, top of mind. Those are the big things that, that come yeah. for me, but it was really an emphasis on the people and making sure that everybody was okay. And, and how do you think that, I mean, hopefully this whole pandemic will one day be behind us, but you know, short-term, long-term, how do you think this pandemic is affecting the live sport and entertainment industry as a whole? And do you think that after the pandemic, you know, there'll be some new companies that come out or like, you know, new, new business models are gonna get created in this industry? First of all, the, I think everyone's digital literacy just increased by a million percent <laughs> overnight. Mm -hmm. uh, Again, you know, my trying to get my parents to text me before was was an issue, and now all of a sudden, we're on Zoom calls <laughs> in the evening. So that definitely uh, has helped people um, on, on the the technology companies, the startup landscape, uh, what people are using. I hope it's not the same players, um, and and the reason mm -hmm. I say that is. You know, the sports largely, and, and, and this is a talk track that I've had uh, for, for quite some time, sports largely hasn't changed. And uh, in, 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 in some ways, rightfully so, because it's been largely successful. But you take a, a, what's happening during the pandemic and people can no longer go into the buildings. And 
uh, even when they are allowed in the buildings, it's not going to be at full capacity. And production has to change. You know, we have to be more lean. We have to rethink about rethink exactly the way the the operation has happened over decades. And I hope that that um, not just for teams and operators and leagues, but also um, innovators and technologies and engineers and designers in the space can now look at their world in a different way, right? You know, you're, you're not starting from a template anymore. You're starting from something that's never happened. And that's exciting. So I hope that it's not the same um, companies that are at the forefront. Um, you know, even my own team at, at MLC Digital Labs, we, uh, I love competition, right? I, I, I wanna meet somebody that's better than us, right? And not to say that we're the best either because we haven't solved everything. Um, but that just just uh, creates a culture that wants to create things that are better for people um, and better for our fans and, and for our players and coaches and everybody that's part of our organization. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, when I look at MLC, I know you guys are at the forefront and there's not that many companies or organizations worldwide in the space that are at that level, or maybe there are some, but in the next kind of like, five to 10 years, before we jump into some other questions, I just wanted to kind of end it off by asking, where do you think there would be a new uh, a new opportunity? Like, or maybe a new major player could come up with some new idea. And like, what do you think that might look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, I, I think the organizations, if I take a step back, I think the organizations that are really trying to get to know who is consuming their brands, and how they're interacting with the brand or the building. Um, I think, again, taking another step back, people forget that uh, sports operators are also retailers. We're also in the F&D business. We're also in the VIP hospitality business. Uh, we're, we're effectively multiple companies uh, under the brand of a Toronto Raptors or Toronto Maple Leafs or Toronto Argos or Toronto FC. And you, know, you have all of those different things running simultaneously um, there's, there's so many different opportunities that, that, that could emerge from that and different interactions mm -hmm. that we can have with fans. So maybe you're uh, a diehard Toronto Maple Leafs fan and you buy every jersey that comes out, you're reading every uh, news article that comes out. There's a certain way that we should interact with you, talk to you and give you the information that you're looking for. Um, yeah. Or maybe you're a uh, first time really trying to get to know the game. You, you saw the Toronto Raptors won, win the NBA championship and all of a sudden you're a basketball fan. And I know some people are critical about bandwagon jumpers, but we, we welcome them all, right? Like if you weren't a mm -hmm. basketball fan last year, uh, what were you doing? <laughs> what were you paying, paying attention to in the city of Toronto? Uh, but we should also be able to talk to you in a specific way. Um, one interesting um, topic for us is really just making sure we uh, have a, a level of customization and personalization for everybody. It doesn't matter if you're a season seat holder that's been with us since day one or uh, somebody that is just consuming media uh, to be culturally relevant. You know, there, there are people that are not the diehard fans, but just want to know enough about the Toronto FC or the Toronto Maple Leafs so that they can have a conversation with their, their friends or, or coworkers at the office. So I think, you know, back to your question, I think that the people that are going to be successful um, and, and, and the companies that are going to be at the forefront of this and what it would look like in the future 
uh, are the ones that are re really leveraging their data. And as, as yeah. cliche as that may sound as well, um, there's not enough organizations doing it. Uh, I don't particularly think we're doing a good job of it. I think there's more that we can do. Uh, we're, we're investing, we're, uh, we're, we're looking at that, we're talking about it every day to be more data-driven. But those are the companies that are going to be uh, successful. And, and those are the ideas that are really going to come to the forefront of, of new innovation. And I've, I've, you know, I've known you for some time and data has always come up in conversations that we've had on, on, on opportunities. And I know you have some opinions on innovation in general. Um, so maybe I could ask you like, you know, I'm wondering how you would describe innovation from your own words and, you know, address the common misconceptions around innovate. Yeah, it's uh, it's such a big topic and, uh, and, and you can go at it in so many different ways. I, first of all, I think every company wants to be innovative and uh, they wanna launch new products and connect with their clients in a different way. And, and there's so many different case studies and examples of that in the world, but then it's one thing to want to do it and there's another thing to actually go about doing it yourself. And mm -hmm. what you don't want it to turn into, if I could start there, is to check a box. You know, like we have an innovation team. You know, that, that's a, that's a, a common uh, theme in, in the industry. You know, you go back a decade or two decades, it was skunk works teams was the, was the, the word. And then a decade later, it was COEs, you know, and now we're going to create a center of excellence. And then now, you know, it's, it's agile and disruption and like what disruption projects that we have. So it, there's always this constant checking a box of we, we're doing innovation, but then how does that translate into business results? Um, so, you know, from, from an innovation perspective, you know, at MLSE, for example, we commit in a big way. We reserve resources that are only allowed to work on projects that are not gonna affect this season. That's a commitment. You know, okay. in, in to, to innovation from a culture perspective where, you know, the, the, the cross-functional nature of our business, the commitment from our owners, the commitment from our executives that we would be so bold to say that this, this set of resources, what they're going to work on is not going to see the light of day for 12 months. Mm -hmm. You know, and if you, you know, any business leaders listening to this, this series, if you ask yourself, how many of your team of, of, of all your employees that you have, how many of them are working on right now, the next three weeks, the next quarter, the next year? Mm -hmm. And how many of them can you safely say are working on next year? Or even the year after that? As crazy as that sounds, you know, the, the biggest challenge for most of, of Canada and R&D and all of these topics is nobody's investing in the future. You're, you're worried about the right now and as business leaders, you should be. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you, you're allowed to forget about what the future holds and uh, even the pandemic, you know, you use that as an example. You know, how, how, do we, how do we adjust from this and then go back to what the new normal is gonna be? Right. And so you talked about like not falling into the trap of innovation theater of it becoming a checkbox, which is a common thing. And a lot of the enterprises that we've come across, it's like, okay, we have an innovation team, check, you know, yep. let's move on. <laughs> but they don't really give them any like actual, you know, authority or any um, backing behind them from, you know, from the higher ups. What are some like 
basic ingredients that you can give to other innovation leaders so that they have like a fighting chance to actually create positive change in their organization? Yeah, super relevant question. And, and first, um, before I give any you know, specific tactics, culture, I just wanted to speak a little bit on culture and innovation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm a technology leader. Uh, I'm responsible for software engineering. We push out features. I still have all those same mandates, but I'm still also a business leader, right? I'm responsible for driving revenue into the organization, making sure operations and SLAs, all of those things are still part of my, my core responsibilities. On the culture of it though, when I speak to, whether it's our food and beverage team or, or a ticketing team or uh, a venue tech team, you know, we, we, we all commit to the fact that we wanna do things differently. We want to enhance the fan experience. We, we don't want to do the same things that we're doing for the last 10 years. Or um, we, when, when somebody comes up with an idea, we're not going to say, oh, we tried that before. It's not going to work this time. You know, it's, it's, it starts at that culture where everybody's committed to, let's just make things better, right? Every, everything has been done the same way for such a long period of time. Let's do it differently. Um, so starting on that, that culture piece, the second is there has to be goals. There has to be goals for the organization. So I mentioned one that, that we started with MLC Digital Labs. We reserved approximately 30% of our resources, people, um, time and money budget to innovation projects. And we wanted to see them launch. And that's a scary, uh, scary thought. You know, if you're, if you're responsible for budget, you know, if you're, if you're on a capital committee or if you're looking at your operating budget and you said, okay, 30% of that, just new stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's a, a few people on this call um, uncomfortable already. Yeah. That's the level of commitment it takes to be able to actually truly drive innovation or else, as you said, it, it's just for show. It's just yeah. for theater. Um, you have to commit it to it at a, at a budgetary level, at a cultural level, at a leadership level. Um, and also, last point to close on this topic is, is just uh, having the courage to, to launch it, put it into the wild. There's so many great books, you know, the Eric Ries, put it, like, get it out into the wild and, and, and make it, let, let your users and your clients and your, your staff help make it better by uh, using it and, and seeing what it actually like does. Using the tools, like using the products, the tools, features. Um, I can't even count how many experiments we've run uh, in, mm -hmm. in the last couple of years of me being here at MLC. And we have a luxury, actually. We have some of the best, we have the best fans in the world. It's, it's, it's incredible, actually. Um, and we can go to, you know, Leafs Nation or uh, the, the Raptors fans and say, hey, we're trying this thing. Do you want to test it? And mm -hmm. quite literally in minutes, people would sign up for it. Uh, so yeah. Um, I'm speaking from a place where we have such a captive audience, but, um, you know, for, for people that have products and features out there, uh, talk to your users, right? There, there's, there's another way to, to be able to drive that innovation within the company. So, I mean, you kind of mentioned this, but you are in a unique situation where you have like millions of fans that when you want to test something, you get access to those users, which is, which is quite rare, right? Like a lot of startups. Mm -hmm early stage would dream of something like that it just doesn't <laughs> just doesn't exist for them 
Um, it's a good and bad problem, I can tell you, because people are it? very honest with us. <laughs> Uh, well, at least you get that, you know, authenticity with, with your fans, which is great. Um, yeah. You kind of touched upon this, but I just wanted to explore uh, more in depth in terms of how does innovation happen internally with an MLSC? Like specifically, like, how do you go about finding and validating ideas? How do you get budget or presented to like the stakeholders to get buy-in to do them, right? And, mm -hmm. and you know, getting that support. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's not um, it's not complicated actually. I'll start by saying that. And uh, to take to take you a little bit back on my journey here, um, and in most of sports and entertainment, actually, innovation um, and not to sound too disparaging, but innovation was really finding that next product or vendor at a conference. And it was, mm -hmm. oh, I'm going to go to a conference and I'm going to go get inspired. And as you should. There's some amazing conferences out there in the world that, that you definitely get that from, but that shouldn't be the way companies innovate. I found this company, we should bring that tech in-house and, and use it. Um, so for us, we started by asking all of our, our teams, our individual departments to rethink what innovation was for them. So instead of going on the internet and doing research and finding companies, what if I gave you a blank canvas and said, how could you make your business better? Just start there. And, and there's, there's so many different methodologies that people can follow, design thinking, strategize, there's so many different things. Um, but if you, if you put it from that perspective, every department knows how they can make their business better. They just have to write it down. And then now you're not coming from a place, well, that doesn't exist in the world. So at MLSC, we went from going to conferences to find product companies to just writing down what our business problems are and how we can make our business better. And then the next step after that was simple, actually. If that technology exists in the world, we'll find it. We'll put out an RFP. There's so many different things that we could do to, to find that technology, put out a press releasing, we're looking for, for this type of thing. And then if it doesn't exist in the world, we'll create it. That was the game changer. And wow. the, the, the ability to in-house create something that didn't exist before in any industry, any sports company prior to that, uh, it gives life to, to that entire process. So uh, to go back to your original question, we went to every department. How do you make your business better? What are the list of those things? And then we use design. So purely purely internal, yeah, at that time? Like a lot purely of the internal. initial uh, ideation came from internal business problems. Okay, cool. Yeah. So uh, internal to start, and then uh, from there, we, we would layer in design, and then we would actually start to build up what that, the user experience would that look like so for restaurants, for season seat holders, for, um, for, for anybody that had an interaction with us. And then from there, we, we came up with a list of things that we knew if we did these things, we would make more revenue, we would have better fan ability, we would have higher season seat renewals, all tied to business goals. And that was the foundation for it. Over time, over the last you know, two to three years, we've added other areas for us to be able to expand on that. We created Future of Sport Lab, which is um, an, an incubator accelerator for uh, sport tech companies to join and pitch uh, our, our front offices, our, our, our engineering teams, our, our line of businesses on solutions that would help them um, 
the, the change that we implemented there was uh, my team is directly involved in getting those startups into a pilot production. And, you know, it's, it's different than, you know, a company just going in and cold pitching one of these line of business leaders or somebody from my team. Yeah. Um, they actually get to hear, okay, here are our problems. If you can solve any of these MLNC problems, we would love to meet you. Pitch the companies and you'll get your shot. You'll get, if, if you truly believe you can solve one of these problems for us, we'll put you in a scenario where you can solve the problems and we'll see if your technology works. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. So you, and then in, in situations when you can't find the technology, how do you go about deciding on what you build in, in internally? Um, so assuming that the tech doesn't exist or there's no startup that you could partner with, what does that look like? And how do you kind of get support from your, you know, from your stakeholders internally? Cause I'm assuming somebody has to you know, back these ideas from a budgetary standpoint. <laughs> yeah, it's um, the, the first step is is really in, and it's not going to come as a surprise to anybody in in the in the product development space is is prototyping and even lo-fi prototyping. Um, if if that tech doesn't exist in the world, we'll go to the users of that space, fans, mm-hmm. season seed holders, and and just talk to them, user interviews. Uh, we're thinking about doing this. Um, if if we presented you with this opportunity, how would you react to it? And the the prototyping starts from a lo-fi perspective there. And if it passes a series of tests with the people that are ultimately going to be using it, then we'll invest into some more high fidelity prototyping. We'll get into uh, using some of the you know some of the industry tools on creating uh, apps or software or, or products that it looks and feels like it's real, but it's actually just more of a mock-up of what it could potentially be. Uh, and then put that in the hands of the same people and then ask the same questions again. So the first time we talked about this, you said that you would feel a certain way. Well, here it is. How do you feel about it now? And then if it passes a certain no- no- number of levels of tests, then we'll put it into development. And then we'll, we'll launch so just it into thought- the... Okay. And so just on that, like how many, how many test cases or what's the sample size that you look for before passing it or moving it into the next stage of the funnel to actually build or to MVP stage? Yeah, so we'll, we'll use uh, normal industry mes- metrics. So NPS scores, system usability scores. So for example, the average NPS in the entertainment industry is 43. So there's a bit, okay. a bit of a benchmark for us, right? So if if we ask a, a, a traditional NPS score of a lo-fi prototype or a usability score of a low, lo-fi prototype, and we're hitting the industry averages, those mm-hmm. are no-brainers. We would just move them forward right away. Okay. Um, once you get into the second level of hi-fi prototypes, um, not just to make this about a product or, or technology conversation or engineering conversation, we do layer in the traditional IRR metrics, business case metrics, pro forma, um, and as the product actually launches, we'll hold those same KPIs, criterias back on that product or feature just to make sure that we're also not blindly going into this innovation world, um, uh, thinking that our ideas are great and we're always right, uh, yeah. because that's not the case. You're wrong, right? And, and if, you, if you're a business leader, a product leader, or 
and you haven't killed products or features in the last, I don't know, 12, 18 months, then there's probably something in your pipeline that you're, you're, you're looking at it with too, too, too much of a rosy colored glasses. And as an innovation leader, like from old ideas that you come up with and then the ones that make it and then actually go to market, how, like you talked about some of the metrics, but how do you show the ROI on the investment? Um, any, any specific metrics or um, KPIs that you present to your team? Yeah, before, before we get to the kind of the business case level um, ROIs, uh, I, I always go back to my team about what problem are we trying to solve? You know, cause it gets lost, right? Once you get to the, the first prototype or the, the third design sprint, it's like, it why always we gets this? lost. <laughs> yeah, like, why, why, why did we start doing this to begin with? And yeah, you know, it's, it's that sprint goal or it's that product vision. And once in a while you got to go back and say, are we still on the same path? And it's okay to pivot. I'm not saying that it's not, yeah. but you, you have to be intentional about, hey, we pivoted. And if you didn't change your product vision or your, your sprint goal or your design goal to begin with, then you know that there's something flawed in your process already. And mm. taking a step after that, it's it's still a business at the end of the day. I can't, I can't express that enough. Uh, I said it earlier on the call, I'm a technology leader, I'm a people leader, um, uh, but I'm a business person first. And anything that we do needs to make sure that we're either driving more people into the building having memorable experiences and ultimately generating revenue for the company. And if we can't draw a line to that, then the idea probably isn't as formed as it should be. Mm -hmm. So if we don't have a clear path to in year one, we believe that this is how many people were on your option is. If it's not that transactional, if we don't have a, an idea of where we think our system usability is going to be, then probably not as progressive as we would like it to be. If we don't have an idea of how we think our fans are going to react to it or, or don't have any data about how the prototypes uh, actually resonated with fans, again, probably not as progressive as it should be. Interesting. And you're, you run digital labs with, with, with some of your other um, executive team. Um, maybe you could tell you know, people who are going to be listening about what is the vision for digital labs? And what's your involvement specifically um, in it? Yeah, it's uh, Digital Labs has been um, an amazing journey for, for the company over the last couple of years. And I spoke about it a, a little bit earlier when we were talking about innovation and how you launch it within an organization. Uh, Digital Labs is really that cross-section between business and technology for MLSE and how we can actually take that cross-section and create the next generation of fan engagement and sports mm -hmm. technology to help us win games, um, keep our players on the ice court pitch longer, draft better, um, make better business decisions from a data perspective, from a customer, uh, customer centricity. And uh, that, that's, that, that was the essence of digital labs. And, you know, much like other organizations, not particularly in sports, uh, technology was was uh, you know kind of boiled down to just the traditional IT needs. You know, I need a new computer. I need my printer's not working. My email's not working. This thing keeps getting stuck in my spam filter. And technology is much more than that. And, and technology is about creation and 
achieving business results. And if you can develop that culture within an organization, that's that's where we're where we've gotten to at Digital Labs. And you know, my team, uh, our organization, we're um, a tech company within a sports organization. We're designers, we're engineers, we're strategists, we're data scientists, and we're looking at all the greatness that is already MLSC and how do we make it better using technology. And, and I could rhyme off all the buzzwords to you, which, which wouldn't be relevant, but um, using those methodologies for us to be able to take MLSC to another level, because we're frankly, we're, we're fortunate. You know, we, we run um, nine professional sports teams. We own all of our venues. Uh, I have the largest uh, engineering team in all of sports. Um, and if we can, we can, we can do these things um, yeah. for, for our teams, we can also help create a little bit of friendly competition um, across the industry as well. And, and uh, hopefully there's other, other organizations that are viewing the world the way we are. So, I mean, you have, you have some great secret sauce here <laughs> that you've created <laughs> and you, you, you kind of said it, innovation at enterprises are tough, but having successful ones like innovation labs is really hard to accomplish like long-term. What, what would you say to the innovation leaders who are gonna be listening to this in terms of what is the best advice you would give them uh, for starting their own right now um, if they don't have one? Yeah, it's, I go back to those business results and you know, I call myself a, a business leader first. There has to be sound judgment still you know and, and too often uh, the technology landscape and, and the product development landscape is filled with too many stickies and you know a bunch of people smiling in a in a in a meeting room you know trying to create the the next great technology uh, but it still has to be rooted in, in business results so don't just create a team and um, hope something great comes out of it there still has to be goals associated to it and, and maybe the organization isn't mature enough yet to say, you know, we want to reach this revenue number or this metric that shows us that our, our clients are enjoying what we're doing more. Uh, start with uh, some more tactical ones about the team. You know, mm -hmm. how many releases are they doing in 30 days, right? If, you're, if your organization is in a typical, you know, quarterly or two, three release cycle in the year, how do you increase the velocity of that? Um, that, that would be a place to start. Uh, how many prototypes are you creating in a year? Uh, how many vision statements are you creating in a year if, if you can't get to a prototype level? Just mm -hmm. to really start that groundswell of, of change uh, within the organization. And we, we did it no differently at MLSC. But um, again, we're, our, our situation, you know, uh, being, being a larger sports entertainment organization, we do have the luxury of, of taking some bigger uh, experiments and challenges and, and, and putting it out into the wild where I know some organizations may not. Uh, so definitely, you know, that, that lover, um, you know, I'm not saying any numbers and dollar figures that you should invest, but how much percentage of your organization is thinking about tomorrow? I'll go back to that question. And uh, uh, that should be top of mind for all the innovation leaders on the call. That's interesting. I'm, you, you, you said it as well, like, having the mindset of being able to not just think about the next month in terms of what you're doing, but six months and one year out, not, and not, not just for this innovation lab, uh, but 
for the, across the whole company, right? How do you um, push change across different departments from restaurants, from, you know, intake of people coming in through the, into the venues, like how can you make things more efficient? Um, are there any innovative projects that you're currently working on that you could share? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I was waiting for the question to, to pop up. Um, obviously, there's, there's some things that we can't say, but I, I, I can know. share some of the, the thought process. Um, and, and, and some of this is, is going to come as a surprise. You think about the pandemic and uh, the fact that we can't have people in our venues and uh, whether you're uh, a first-time person going to Scotiabank Arena or BMO Field or any of these venues, um, or, or you go there all the time. Um, so it's only natural for us to take a look at our venue and, and what we do and how do we create a digital version of that. So mm -hmm. the concept of a digital arena, you'll start to hear us talk about more publicly um, in the coming months. And the whole goal of that is how do we take what we did so well in the venue and bring it to people at home? Uh, I was in Charlotte, uh, sorry, I was in Chicago um, uh, for All-Star and we were talking with, with Adam Silver and he did a presentation around just the, the concept of being able to do what all these teams do so well from a game presentation perspective and bring that same level of excitement to people at home. I remember personally the first time I ever went to a sporting event was at, at Maple Leaf Garden as a, as a kid with my dad and that was that as, as crazy as it sounds, it was a life-changing experience. I, I'll never forget that. And, and if you ask anybody on this call or even just in a social setting, if you ask them to remember what their first sporting experience was like, was like largely going to be positive and it's going to be a memory that you're going to keep for a very long time. And the challenge for us in this digital arena that we're trying to create is how do I now create that same special moment for you at home when you're not walking into a venue and looking at the 30,000 seats in the building and all the people walking around. And I can safely say, and I firmly believe now we have the technology to be able to do, do that. Um, and the pandemic, as, as, as crazy as it sounds, has actually provided us as an opportunity with everybody's digital literacy going a thousand percent where Maybe you never thought about virtual reality before, but you probably thought about it recently. Um, yeah, I was going to say. You, <laughs> yeah, if, you, uh, if you've never experienced augmented reality or having digital things in your, in your house, watching it through the screen on your phone, um, you, you're thinking about it now. Um, uh, even voice, you know, and, and where, where voice is headed and how people are going to interact with their homes. Um, it's not far off for people to be able to experience Scotiabank Arena on the other side of the world and, you know, sit in Drake's seats and, and, and hear, feel what that's like to be courtside. And not just to bring you back to the stadium, but also give you interactions that you've never had before uh, with the technology that we're, that's available to us. It's a, it's a really, really exciting time for sports. Um, and I'm, I'm so excited to see also what my peers are creating because um, I've seen some really interesting ideas and some really courageous really. people in the industry too, uh, trying stuff that, and I can't say it enough that they would have never tried before because it would have been cliche or a bit too crazy or 
Um, yeah. That idea is too way out of left field. We would never do that here, that type of stuff. Awesome. Thanks, Christian. Just a couple more questions before you wrap up. I want to take it to more of like a personal note. Um, how do you, uh, you know, stay competitive as a person, as an innovation leader? Like, who are your mentors? What do you read? You know, how do you give it your best every day when you go in and you're trying to figure out what the hell do I do next? You know? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I love the question, by the way, because it's something that I, I, I mean, everyone has their own ways to stay motivated and, and uh, draw inspiration from people. Um, I, I think first, first and foremost, I entered this industry to make technology to, to help people have a better way of living. And I, I've thought about this a lot, actually. And more recently, especially with all the news that the tech companies are getting, and you know, there's this opinion that technology has actually probably made humanity worse than better uh, with some of the things that we put out. And you know, it, it's a culture within the tech community where we want, and, and also an, an entire generation of wanting to feel connected to their work and doing wow. something for something bigger than just the thing that's in front of you. So when I go back to it, for me personally, uh, I'm in this industry to, to make technology to make people's lives better. And I wanna do it at a pace that is unheard of. Uh, the, you know, the, the thought of flying cars, the thought of controlling my house with just my voice and no, let's have no interfaces in the next decade, those things motivate me. Like that's, yeah. it, it, that's a reason to get up in the morning. It's a reason to continue to want to innovate. Um, and, uh, you know, on the inspiration side, I, I'm super fortunate at MLSC. Some of the, the smartest people I've ever worked at work at this company. And I draw inspiration from them for, for, for them wanting to change the way they operate, what they've spent an entire lifetime building. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter if it's on the business side on with food and beverage uh, or on the team operation side with player development or, or, or you know, coaching strategy. Um, you have to surround yourself with people that want to do things better and, and not in a finite way, not, not in a right. way that is, uh, you know, we, we want to get to this, this point because you know, at that, at that stage, you still have to move to, to another, another point in, in that, in that career. Uh, from an inspiration perspective, I mean, you know, you, I, I don't think it's, it's wrong or bad to, to draw inspiration from, from other leaders. So, um, I read Eric Reed. I, the Lean Startup is still one of the life-changing books really? okay. that I've ever read. Like if you're if you were in product development for the last two decades, the first time you read Eric Reed's changed your life. Um, the the to have courage to put something out there, a feature, a product that wasn't ready, knowingly wasn't ready with the intention of learning was a groundbreaking thing. It was a groundbreaking thing for me and I'm sure it has been for, for a, lot of re, uh, a, lot of, a lot of people in this industry. So going back to those inspirations has been great. Uh, more recently, um, startups. Uh, the work that we're doing in Future of Sport Lab, I get so much energy from those founders um, mm -hmm. and 
the the drive and the passion that they have to change this industry or the belief that they have in their product. Not all of them good, um, but that that's probably more of an experience thing. Um, uh, th those would be what's what's top of mind for me. Awesome, awesome. Thanks. Um, I'm gonna just do one or two more quick fire questions, which I always sure. like doing at the end, uh, and then yeah. we'll wrap up. Um, I want to ask you, what is something, and you talked about a lot of stuff, which is great. Um, I want to ask, what is something innovation leaders should stop doing tomorrow? And what okay. should they start start doing tomorrow? It's like uh, one-liners. <laughs> one stop doing um, uh, COEs, dunk works, <laughs> and innovation teams. <laughs> uh, and I, I have to add some context to it because um, you can't just create these teams without any goals. They have, they have to have goals. Um, start doing, uh, commit your budgets to it. Uh, and you commit your, your organizational planning. Um, uh, I, I gave the example earlier of, you know, taking 30% of my operating budget and my time and resources of people and committing it just to stuff that's not going to launch this season. As crazy as that, that sounds, if you look at it from a business perspective, if you're a business leader on this call and you have nobody on your team thinking about tomorrow, that is a big problem that you have. Um, that, that is not, uh, and I don't say that lightly because there's way too many organizations in this world operating that way. Uh, and not to take anything away from the importance of right now or this quarter or the upcoming board meeting or, or the, the shareholder report, all of that's really important, but you have to invest in the future. Um, yeah. and, and again, don't say it lightly. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Awesome, that was great. Christian, thank you so, so much for giving us all this incredible knowledge and insight. Uh, it's been awesome having you as a guest on, on, our, on our show. So thanks again for your time. Um, please tune in next time for the next show where we're going to have another innovation leader joining us. Check out our YouTube page and uh, follow us on LinkedIn to see when we post uh, these, these new series. Um, so again, thank you so much, Christian. Awesome thank having you, you and uh, stay tuned for next time.